Welcome to the Meg's Podcast. I'm Megan Coleman. And I'm Meg Grievous. We're two sister-in-laws with two opposite personalities living in two different states. But we're here with one goal, to encourage you through our honest and funny conversations about the important and not so important things in life. Because we believe today is a perfect day to laugh with someone. Meg, we have a guest speaker on today. Her name is Jeanette O'Pime, and I know you know her. You guys Mm -hmm. go way back, and it's been such a privilege getting to know her recently. Y'all are going to really just enjoy hearing her story. So she is a successful businesswoman. She has been working for years for a celebrity as the marketing and events manager, which is way fun. And it's really cool. Yeah. But don't, but don't ask us. <laughs> no, we can't tell you who it is. And that's the mystery, but not just that we're, you guys are going to get to hear just her heart and some of her family struggles that she's gone through and, uh, valleys and victories. And, um, I just love hearing just her heart. Yeah. I mean, you, you're right. I've known her for years. We worked together on um, a nonprofit event for St. Jude. And so that's how I got to meet Jeanette um, just on a professional level. But she's so sweet. And mm-hmm. we just became friends over the years. And we just want you guys to know a little bit more about her. So she was born and raised in Maryland. Um, she loves, this is a fun little fact, and we joke and we laugh about it with her. One of her favorite seasonings. Megan, do you know this one? Old Bay seasoning? Oh, no. (laughs) That's like old school, right? I know it is. Um, But Jeanette and her husband, they live in Nashville with their two one-year-old children. And they just keep her on her toes and I'm sure keep her humble every day. Um, and we're going to get to hear a little bit more about this. She is also a um, author. She is publishing a book, and we're going to share and hear more about that and her story. Um, and she's currently working on even more writing projects. So just the things that she has accomplished in her short, you know, she's young in she's her 20s. She's not even 30 years old yes. yet. Yeah. I'm just blown away and impressed Um not only just with her career in the events and marketing world, but also just other goals that she's set for herself and strive to accomplish. So this girl blows me away. She's doing something right. And I'm just excited that you guys get to hear her chat more about her journey and her story today. All right. So let's, let's go ahead and listen in to Jeanette. Hey, Jeanette. Thanks so much for being on today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. We are super excited just to get to know you and hear your story and then let you just share with our listeners some awesome things that you have going on too. But before we do that, you know, Meg's usually the one that asks all the random questions on this podcast, but today (laughs) I'm going to be the one to bring it up because I, as I was reading your bio, Jeanette, I thought that this was super fascinating and very impressive is that you are related to like a handful of presidents. Is this right? I am. Yes. I am a super nerd. I love genealogy and my dad and I have been doing, um, our ancestry stuff together lately. It's been a great bonding experience, but we recently found out that we are related to George Washington, um, both John Adams, James Madison, um, FDR, and Barack Obama. So a wide array. (laughs) That's an impressive list. Okay. So Barack Obama, how is that? Do you know? When I brought that list together, it's like, well, I'm officially royalty. Everyone <laughs> call me President Jeanette. No, I'm just um, yeah, he. So he had. He's biracial, and his mom is white, and so I'm related to her side of the family through European descent. Um, it goes really far back. It is so far back that we're practically unrelated, but there is a connection there. So I'm going to keep him on the list. Hey, oh, claim yeah. it. I would I'd claim it. I would too. Yeah. I would claim that all day long. I don't That's think cool. I have any. I don't know. I've never done list. it. Maybe we probably should do a podcast episode about it. I've never done the, um, what is it? The ancestry.com thing. Is that what you did, Jeanette? Did you do like the mouth swabby thing? 
Yep. I did the mouth swabby thing and then I sent it in. It was through ancestry.com. And then you do have to put a little bit of work into it. It's not like you get your results back and it says you're related to Obama. You have to put some work into it to, to kind of sniff out those cool connections. Um, but to me, it's worth the time. And it's really cool to see like where your family came from. And it will give you a map of like where your ancestors are from and show you when they came over to the U.S. or if they were originated from here. I'm fascinated by this now. Okay. So fun fact is I've actually had one of those tests sitting in my drawer for like a year. I got it as a Christmas gift for my parents last, like over a year ago, Christmas. And I got one for me too. And they did it. And I still haven't. I I guess I'm a little worried. Like, what are they going to do with my DNA? (laughs) Oh my gosh. See, you're such a conspiracy theorist. Listen, that's normally me, but I feel like this is going to happen. Let's do this for a new episode. See, Jeanette, okay. thank you. You're yeah. spurring up on new episode topics. So Meg, I already have my test. So order yours and then we'll do okay. that. We'll do this. Well, I wanted to kind of, um, I've known you for years. And so I wanted our listeners and even Megan, just to hear more about your amazing story, just um, being a mom. And um, you guys have um, this phrase that means a lot to you guys. And I'd love for everybody to hear more just about your journey and your story with Brave Love. Would you mind just diving in and sharing a little bit about that? Yeah, well, thank you. And do you want me to start with the Brave Love and kind of branch out from there? Yeah. 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 So Brave Love is just a phrase our family has adopted. We used it initially um, with our adoption fundraiser. One of my children was adopted. And yeah, we use that on t-shirts to raise money for uh, the adoption. And it's just kind of turned into something I live by. It changes meaning as I go, but I think that's a good thing. It means I'm growing and our family obviously is growing together closer and um, brave love um, is a phrase sometimes heard floating around in the adoption triad. So that's made up of the birth family, the adoptee and the adoptive family. So we're two thirds of that um, triad in our household. So the life of adoption is not a cakewalk. And therefore, there will be chapters of heartache, self-exploration, mourning, trauma, and growth on all sides of the triad. So I want to love myself, my son, and his birth family bravely through it all, and my daughter too. Um, The phrase brave love is just my reminder of that. I'm so sorry. I like kicked this whole thing off with like one of the hardest questions. And I just want to say, we really appreciate you sharing your story with everybody because we know that it is hard and it's a brave love story, right? I really love it. So I'm sorry to interrupt, but I know that it's hard to talk about hard things, right? Absolutely. I guess we can just dive right in then. Let's, let's get through the hard stuff. Yes. Let's get (laughs) through that. (laughs) Um, yeah, so my husband and I got married in 2016. Yes, we got married in 2016. I'm not questioning that. I am saying that (laughs) with affirmation. Um, and I knew we were going to start a family one day, but I had a really hard time initially coming around to feeling ready to be a mom. Like I was like, I know I want kids one day, but the thought of childbirth terrified me. The thought of what that does to my body terrified me. The thought of um, not being able to live my life selfishly terrified me, if we're being honest. So I just, I say, oh, one day, one day, one day. And I kept saying that. And my husband was like, ready whenever you are. And I'm like, I'm not not there yet. And then there, it was Mother's Day. We were at church and I was praying and it just, hit me like a ton of bricks. It is time. You're ready. And I was like, I'm ready. I walked out of that church that day, a changed woman. I I just, I walked in totally scared about being a mom and walked out totally ready. And I remember holding my husband's hand as he walked to the car and I looked at him and I said, Hey, I'm ready to be a mom. And I want to start family with you. And he was like, yeah, really? Okay. Me too. And so we started trying after that. And I don't know about you guys, but I was raised where you were taught, you know, look at a boy the wrong way and you'll get pregnant. So no, Mm -hmm. it can be (laughs) very deceiving because that's not how it goes for a lot of families. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And so we started trying and I know, I know how a, bo- a woman's body works. I, I, I've studied it before. I understand how cycles work, all that fun stuff. So I was doing what we were supposed to do at the right time of the month. And um, it sounds silly in hindsight. It took three months for us to get pregnant, but my expectation level was so high right off the bat. I was disappointed with that first negative pregnancy test and the second. And I think there was a third before we finally got pregnant. But when we did, I was like, oh, okay. I heard that it takes a couple months. We're pregnant. And so I surprised my husband with the news. And we, so we had gotten pregnant in August. And then um, it was the end of September. And I remember I was at work one day and I had some spotting and I called my midwife and she's like, that's normal. This is, it's a first trimester thing. Don't even worry about it. She said, if you know, the volume intensifies or the color changes, give us a call. It did that. And I called them back and they were like, you're fine. It's okay. This still sometimes happens. It doesn't necessarily mean a miscarriage waited out by this time. It was in the middle of the evening. So there wasn't anything we could have done anyways. And she just said, you know, the only time you really should start being concerned if you see tissue matter come out. Hmm. I'm sorry if that is graphic, but that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. (laughs) That's where this is safe. We're good. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, that evening, I remember I went to bed and I woke up with the worst stomach pains and I hopped in the bathtub and I saw tissue matter. I called my husband in there and he sat next to me and we just kind of sat there and and it's like, yeah, this is a miscarriage. This is what's happening. And so the next morning we went to our midwife and she confirmed that that's what it was. And I remember it was pouring rain that day and we just drove home and we were just so upset. And um, miscarriage isn't talked about in detail. I mean, I remember my mom said she had one growing up and that's or when I was growing up and that's all was mentioned. You know, I had a miscarriage. That means the baby died before I was ready to come out and that's it. Oh, okay. Um, and you don't really hear much about it. And so I didn't know what to expect. Um, I mean, I knew what to expect based on what my midwife prepped me for verbally, but there's a lot more than just like what you go through physically. Um, there's a lot of emotion tied to it. I remember when the um, fetus actually did come out, it was in the toilet and Zach and I, my husband, Zach and I stood there and looked in it at it and we were like, what do we do? Like, do we bury our baby yeah. or do we flush the toilet? And, and we didn't know. And we just stood there and, and looked at this little tiny human we made and we didn't know what to do. And I was like, I feel like it's going to be wrong if we flush it. But if we bury this baby, I'm never going to be able to leave this house or look at the spot we buried it. You know, it's like, do I cut the cord emotionally attachment wise here or do I just, um, and so we, we ended up flushing it, but it was just like, is this the right thing to do? No one talks about that. I'm so glad you said that in detail. And I know we are getting a little graphic, but that's okay because you're right. I think there's so many women that go through this, myself included. And you do, I'm telling you, I've had the exact same thoughts and conversations with my husband because you don't know what to do. And it's not like anybody at, you know, an urgent care center or, you know, if it happens on the weekend, they're going to be like, you know, well, when this and this happens and you're standing in the bathroom. So thank you for sharing. Cause I think that there are so many people out there that have gone through that exact thing and it's heartbreaking. You're already in such a state of just mourning and sadness and, oh gosh. So thank you. I'll let you finish yeah. the story. Oh, you're totally fine. So, um, yeah, that was the hardest day for sure. And, um, you know, we had just told our families, we had surprised them with t-shirts. So it was just the, um, coming down from the high was difficult. And then I guess if you guys have had miscarriages before, you know, that 
everyone else moves on so much faster than you do. Mm -hmm. And Megan, you mentioned this in your episode when you were talking about Bennett, but you heal by talking about them, you know, or you love talking about them. Why would you ever want to stop? And I, I was finding that healing as well, but it was so taboo to even talk about, even if I brought it up and tried to initiate that type of conversation, the people I was talking to would shut it down because they, they didn't know how to handle it. And I don't blame them one bit for that, but I had a really hard time because this baby had no face, no name, no gender. Like we'll never know any of that stuff. So, and no one saw it. I was never visibly pregnant. Um, so it doesn't make it it any idea. I'm sorry. I'm like crying over here. (laughs) Meg. (laughs) I can't help it. It just like, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's almost like an idea to people outside of your family, but to you and your husband or your children or whoever else are experiencing this alongside with you, it's more than that. And the baby's impact uh, you know, sticks around. And, and some people handle miscarriages differently than others. I definitely took mine really, really hard. Um, I remember driving one day and my mom was on the phone and I just lost it. And I just said, I want my baby. Like, I don't understand why this baby was taken from me. I did everything right. And there's nothing you can say. My mom was just like, I'm sorry. <sighs> so um, emotionally, getting you you know you don't get over stuff like that but there is healing that comes along um with time so i've i've definitely am at a better place it's been oh gosh i'm gonna get the year wrong two years now that since it happened um and but i still think about that little one yeah and jenna i mean just think about the emotional roller coaster too that you went through and other women go through is like here you are you're not ready to have kids and then all of a sudden you're like okay let's do this let's make this happen and then it it's a couple months and you get pregnant and the joy and the excitement of that and then to miscarry after that like it's that is hard it's heartbreaking and it's hard and i think that you're um i i love how you say that it's just a lot of people don't understand and and they move on. Um, and that's not at fault to them, you know, but it's just, you know, life goes on and, um, gosh, I'm, I'm so sorry that you had to go through that, you know, but I know that God always takes the heart and makes it good. Uh, I know that that's mm-hmm. something that I've experienced. How, how have you experienced that as well? Well, um, I know that a lot of women experience miscarriages and it will forever be meaningless as to why it had happened. Um, But with ours, I actually got an answer in hindsight as to why it happened. I found out down the road that the week we lost our baby was the week my son was conceived. So he would have never been my son had this baby stuck around. Um, and I don't look at that in hindsight and think, Oh, that's why it happened. I'm good to go. Um, it's still a little senseless to me, but I do know that if that baby had grown inside of me and we delivered it and it was a healthy baby, we would not have pursued adoption when we did. So, um, God had a place for that child and it's up in heaven with him. And so I'm excited to meet that baby one day. And until then, um, I will be my mama, be a mama to my two Earthside babies here. So tell us about that story because you've got your son that was adopted and amazing that he was conceived the same week that you lost your first baby. Like God's plan and all that is amazing. But then, so here you're going through the the adoption process and what happens? So yeah, well, a lot of, after my miscarriage, I got told so many times, you're going to conceive again right away. It's just known. And so I went into this mindset, like, okay, here we go. And one month went by, two months went by, three months went by, negative, negative, negative pregnancy test. And I just started getting drained. And I have all the respect in the world 
for women that try longer than my amount of time I tried for a baby without getting pregnant. It is the most emotionally tolling mind warp ever. You just constantly analyzing your cycles and your temperature and checking pregnancy tests religiously almost. And so we said, you know what, we have had adoption on our hearts. Um, That's something we had wanted to pursue with or without biological children. We just hadn't planned on doing it that soon, but we thought, you know, if, if we're struggling to get pregnant, why don't we just start now? Because it'll be a year and a half before we come home with a baby anyways. So at the end of the year, we started our paperwork and um, kept trying for a biological child, but not aggressively. Like I was, I stopped tracking my cycles and we're just like, okay, whatever. We have our sites now. We have, we're paper pregnant, as they say in the adoption community. So um, that's where our focus lied. And I don't know if that's why I got pregnant. My mind wasn't so hung up on conceiving and stressing about it that we ended up getting pregnant in March um, of that following year. And we were at that point about to go active, um, which means our paperwork is done. And we're ready to start receiving cases and sending our adoption profile book out to birth families um, for consideration. So we're like, okay, we're pregnant and we're paper pregnant. Let's do this. (laughs) Like celebration. Um, That's amazing to have that all at the same time. Was it, was it overwhelming though? A little bit like, were you, what emotions? I know you're ecstatic, but also. Yes, there was a lot of emotions, but when you go through a a period of wanting something so badly and you get handed double what you wanted, you're only, I mean, for me, I was only happy and excited. I wasn't thinking about, you know, how many poopy diapers am I going to change in a day or anything like that. Back to back, right? I think about that now. Yeah. Um, But so we were just happy. We embraced it. And we also thought still that it was probably going to take about a year and a half um, for an adopted child to come to our family. Anyways, we started our adoption process in January. And in May, I got a phone call saying, Hey, there's a birth mama and she, she wants you guys. I'm like totally uh, getting chills just sitting here I did listening too. to that. I love I did that. Too. Oh my gosh. I love that. Yeah. The way it was worded was, are you ready to be a mom? And I was like, Yes. I wanted someone to ask me this so long. Um, And so that we got chosen by our birth mom one month before our son was born. So we had very little time. We thought we had all this time in the world to get everything ready. We had to scramble. And I was like, what is essential right now? And what can we wait on? It's funny what I thought was essential. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we got it together. Our friends came together and threw a very quick impromptu shower for us. They're, we have a great community around us and they're so supportive. Um, it was great. And we flew out to the state that our son was born in and met his beautiful, wonderful birth mother. Um, and she had him the next day, the day after we met her. Wow. And he was healthy and beautiful. And he's one of the best things that's ever happened to me. And he's such a joy. So yeah, we came home. How far along were you in your, at this point in the story, how far along were you in your pregnancy? I was entering my second trimester. Okay. I remember my bump had just started showing when we got out to um, the state we adopted him from. Um, So it was, a ride after that. Yeah. Um, we had a good time. I mean, that's when, that's when everything started flying by for us because we had a newborn and I was pregnant. So the pregnancy flew by, our son grew up super fast. Um, so he was five months old when our daughter was born in November. And I was very excited because I remember, um, the time between when our son came home and our daughter was born, I was just like, our family isn't complete yet. It's not complete yet. And so we, we adjusted to each other. We settled in as a family, but 
knowing that another member was coming really soon kind of kept us not quite settled in completely. And then when she came, we're like, okay, this is it. Our family is complete. Here we are. Okay. And so they're born in the same year, right? Yep. Both 2019 babies and almost five months apart to the day. It's five months and three days that they're. So Irish twins. I Mm -hmm. love it. Do you have any, like, so far, any really funny, I'm sure having Irish twins, you've got to have like some kind of like funny mom moment or like <laughs> embarrassing. I cannot imagine juggling. I mean, I, I'm sure having multiples, you know, but then having these Irish twins too, you know, and five months apart, there's got to be some good stuff there. Giving two ba- two babies baths at the same time is very difficult, especially when you're doing it on your own. My oh, I hadn't I have thought this. of that. Yeah, pattern of we'll have dinner and then he'll stay downstairs and do the dishes and I take the kids up and bathe them, which is great until it's time to get out because you only have two hands. And even if you're carrying two naked babies to the bedroom, you can't put two diapers on two babies at the same time. So two nights ago, I was upstairs and I was changing our daughter. I just chose her to put a diaper on first. And my son recently learned how to crawl down the stairs. And so a diaperless child wanders downstairs where my husband, who had just cleaned the whole house, was scrubbing the dishes. And he took one look at our son and was like, Jeanette, (laughs) please do not let him pee on the carpet. And I'm like, I can't change both babies at the same time. But it was kind of cute. You know, my son was so excited to be downstairs and like this, (laughs) no diaper on. This is great. Freedom. Um, Yeah, absolute ultimate freedom there. And he was very happy with himself. And I was like, okay, we need to give each other some grace. I can't put two diapers on two babies at the same time. We laughed about it afterwards. But in the moment, I was like, yeah. Bath time was always a challenge because mine were, you know, obviously not Irish twins and not multiples, but we had them kind of close together. I mean, I think I had Davis was three, Reed was two, and then we had Bennett as our newborn. So they just were piled up on top of each other. And I remember I would throw them all in the bath at the same time mm-hmm. and just hope for the best. Like, <laughs> water would be everywhere. That was, but you know, I was often doing it by myself. We kind of tag teamed it like you guys did Jeanette, where, you know, one of us would be in the kitchen cleaning up from dinner and one would take bath time. I feel like I'd got the bath side of it a lot. I don't know. I think I'd rather clean the kitchen. You end up soaked. Oh yeah. Everything's wet. And I tried to stay orderly. Like everybody had their own colored towel. Cause you know, that's just who I am. And, but it never worked out how I wanted it to. That's what's so good. Like just to like laugh, like at our mom, our mom parenting moments. And is there something that I know you've wanted to be a mom for a long time? Like that was, you know, a, a dream and a passion for you and your husband for a long time. Now being a mom, like, what is the thing that you're just like, Oh, I live for this. Like, these kind of moments or is there something that you're, you're just loving so far about motherhood? Just, I mean, it's never dull around here. And I love that even in the chaos that the stressful chaos, I'm still somewhat happy in that moment because I'm just like, this is life. We're doing it. We're raising tiny humans. What an honor. Um, And I just love, I love the chaos. And I love seeing the world through their eyes too. Mm. the things they notice. Like we have a gingerbread man advent calendar right now. And they're obsessed every morning. They got to point at it and like, make sure I move them to the next day. And I almost didn't hang that up this year. Cause I'm like, eh, who cares? No one's going to see it. And they, they just love it. And I'm like, something I almost didn't even acknowledge has become the favorite part of their morning. So just getting to see the world again through two one-year-old's eyes is fascinating and such a joy. I love that. Well, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to kind of switch gears a little bit because, um, you have done something that we think is incredible. So on top of your career as an events and marketing manager and being a mom to Irish twins on top of that, you have tackled kind of a new adventure and um, you've become an author, right? I have, yes. 
Thank you. I'm very excited about this. I wrote a children's book. It's called Annie and Khalil. And I wrote it as a tool for my two kids um, because our son came into our family through adoption and our daughter came into our family biologically and they're Irish twins, five months apart. <laughs> we get a lot of questions. We get a lot of looks. Um, and so even though they're only one years old, our family gets asked a lot of invasive questions from overly curious strangers. Um, obviously the characters are inspired by, by my kids and the book recognizes their similarities. It celebrates their differences and navigates the conversation of a multiracial sibling dynamic. My hope is that this book can help my kids one day in explaining the nature of their relationship to their peers when I'm not around with all the words. So that is my hope, but we shall see. Um, I mean, if it can, if it can um, touch one other family, I will have done my job. I just love that this is going to be a children's book that can be a tool for kids like you so beautifully just said when we're not around as adults because they are having these conversations at school or, you know, on a team or whatever, whenever they're with friends and we aren't always around. I love that you're trying to equip young children with something and you're specifically yours too. So, but I'm curious as to where did kind of, I know your kids inspired it, but your inspiration just to begin writing and and that's, you know, a new title for you is becoming an author. How did that all start? Where'd that come from? So I've always loved writing. It's so I'm not a perfect student. I'm a C's get degrees type of girl, but for some <laughs> reason, <laughs> Uh, writing and reading has just been my strong subjects in school and just in life. Um, so I've always written. They've just been in journals and word docs that have never left my computer. But uh, I set a goal for myself when I was 26 to write a book before I turned 30. And I'm cutting it close but this book is going to come out on Valentine's day, 2021. And I turn 35 months later. So I'm, I'm there. I'm on the cusp. I, I hit my deadline. You right made at it. The end. Oh, for sure. You made <laughs> it. And Meg, see, I did not have those kind of goals when I was in my twenties. Did you? That's what, no, that's what I was just <laughs> fixing to say. I think that's why I just continue to, the more I get to know Jeanette, the more I'm just really, um, she inspires me because you set these incredible goals as a 20 something year old and you set out to, you know, do it and look at you, you're accomplishing it. So I want to make sure we promote this well too. So give our listeners out there real quick, the name of the book, um, where they can find that and the date that it's being released again. Yes. It's called Annie and Khalil. So A-N-N-I-E and Khalil, K-H-A-L-I-L, if anyone needs to spell that. And it's going to be released Valentine's Day. So February 14th, 2021. I believe that's a Sunday, Saturday. I think it's on a weekend this year or this upcoming year. Um, and as of right now, as we're recording this, it is still in the illustration process. But by the time this podcast is released, I will have some sort of tangible link for you guys, which should be included in the show notes. So yeah, we'll be good a, there. Yeah. for sure. We'll add a link to the show notes and absolutely. Yeah. How is it really difficult to write a children's book? It seems like, you know, there's part of me that thinks, oh, that'd be easy. Just rhyme a few words and you're good to go. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like it's Listen. a lot harder than that. <laughs> children's books are so difficult. I can't tell you how many I have written before this one's Duck. And even with this one sticking, it still took multiple um, edits and versions for me to get it to a point where I felt comfortable getting it illustrated and, and getting it published. Um, so yes, very difficult. It's way harder to rhyme than you would think. Uh, and there's a cadence to it. I've even picked up on that now reading kids books to my children, the ones that rhyme, but there's just a little, like one extra syllable in there or one less syllable. And, and you kind of stumble over your words and it's like, makes a difference. Hats off to every single person that has ever written a children's book and people that do it well and, and make a career out of it is amazing to me. Um, you know, there's an element of psychology almost in, in writing a children's book. Cause you are 
writing to an audience way, way younger than you and in a developmental stage that you haven't tapped into in years. I'm not there. I'm not a professional by any means. Again, it was easier to write this book because it was me as a mother speaking to my children. They're a couple years older in this, in the way I'm speaking to them. But just being able to kind of box out everything else and just focus on, hey, I'm a mom. What what would what do I want to equip my children with when they're six on the playground and getting asked invasive questions? Um, mm-hmm. It made it a lot easier for me to write That's, that. But I wanted to touch on that real quick again because, um, and I meant to ask you earlier. I was even shocked at some of the questions that you were telling us that people just really come right out and ask in front of your children without even thinking, oh, have they had these conversations with, with them? Their kids. Right. Could you tell us just a little bit about, um, I, I think I was just shocked to hear that people do that. And y'all have had several instances where that's been the case where people, you know, ask pretty blunt questions about adoption or your children. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have a firm belief that most people mean well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't think they think ahead of, hey, if I say this question in this way, in this moment, how is this going to affect this family? Like right now we get um, very invasive questions asked to us with our children around and they're one, but my son is learning a new word every day. And mm-hmm. so it makes me realize he's soaking in things that we might be unaware of. And I don't want it to become the norm for him or my daughter to be standing with their parents, you know, in the grocery store, can we leave? And a stranger or someone we even know come up and ask us a question that they hear and soak in and it's about them, but addressed to me. Um, So we, yeah, I mean, varying degrees of questions we've gotten. There's a lot of curiosity around our birth family, which we will never share. That's this is more my son's story than ours. And we hold his family in a very sacred space in our hearts. Um, We guard them and we always will um, for their sake and for our sons. And I just think it's really inappropriate when people come and ask questions about them. Um, So if you're hearing this, you know, an adoptive family, don't ask about their birth family. Let them tell you if they want to. Um, I mean, it's not something that you shouldn't speak about at all. Like we celebrate um, my son's family, but it's just there private. are just certain questions yeah. that are a little inappropriate surrounding um, leading up to an adoption, mm. the choice of pursuing an adoption, you know. So yeah. um, I think it was a good reminder for me too, because I am one of those people that. And Megan will tell you, I mean really well. Like my heart is always in a, in a good place, but I tend to just kind of blurt out. And oh, so, but you always do it in a way that everybody knows that your heart's in the right place, Meg. But it is a good reminder. I think so, yeah. for sure. And you know, if you assume everyone means well or most people mean well, you can weed out the ones that are malicious right away. But the people that mean well, you just answer with just as much grace as you would hope to receive in that Mm -hmm. moment if you're on the other side of the conversation. So there's a book called The Lucky Few. It's about a a family that adopted two children with Down syndrome Mm -hmm. and um, and then a daughter who's transracially adopted. That resonated with me in the way um, she responds to nosy questions, one of them being because she adopted her two of her children have Down syndrome. And she said there's a lot of older people that will say, you know, they're going to have to live with you for the rest of your life, right? Mm. What well, first of all, what kind of question is that? But they pro- probably meant well. Not even her reason. It's not even a question. It's more of a. I just want to make a this statement. statement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But her response to that, I love it because it's it's gracious. But man, it stops them in their tracks and makes them think. She responds by saying. I know. And aren't we so lucky? Aren't we the luckiest to be able to live with them for the rest of their lives? That's the lucky few. I love that. That is great. Yes. I'm going to forget the author's name, but if you look up the lucky few, it is a book you can find on Amazon. Um, But I, so the graciousness of that response, but also the like 
cutting it, cutting it in the bud right there. And you're like, do not progress this conversation any further. I love that. I need some of those own ans- my own answers Yeah, <laughs> to start saying, but um, that'll come with time. Well, I'm so glad that you said graciousness because um, if I could describe you in, well, I don't know if it's hard to describe you in just one word. You're so many wonderful things. You have had a very successful career in the events and kind of marketing and achieved quite a bit at even a young age. So we're going to brag on you for a second because you had the honor of being nominated for Nashville's top 30 under 30 class of 2020 and you were selected, right? Yes, I did. So I was nominated by a dear friend of mine and I was chosen as one of the top 30 and um, the Nashville's top 30 under 30 is an initiative here in Nashville to raise money for the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. It's a fundraising endeavor. Um, So each of the 30 chosen is given um, a goal of $5,000 minimum to raise for the foundation. And then you're given, and see, I was from October to February to hit your goal. And then of course you set a higher goal. So I went, I'm like, I'm gonna do (laughs) $20,000. Listen, you guys know, raising money is not as easy as it sounds, or maybe it is as hard as it sounds. I don't know, but, um, it was difficult, but I had, I have a great community and a lot of people that care about causes like battling and bringing a cure to the disease of cystic fibrosis. So it was great to just have, um, a group around that helped me reach my goal. And I came in second place. Good job. And thanks. Um, so it was a it was an awesome experience. I loved working with the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. I still do. Now I'm on one of their committees, and uh, it was it was a, a humbling experience. I know you have to juggle quite a bit. You have quite a team of people that you juggle all over the United States, and juggling being a mom of two. So you've got lots going on. How do you balance all of that? How do you balance career, motherhood, wife, all of the things? All of the things. Well, first of all, it takes a lot of teamwork between myself and my husband. Um, I'm very grateful for him, but we help each other in the moments when the kids are crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, So, Hey, what do you need to get done right now? Is it work related? I'll take the kids. You go have your conference call and then let's switch. It's not the most efficient system. I mean, we're working on um, finding more childcare for the future, but we're making it work together. But I do have some tips on juggling motherhood or parenthood and multiple professional endeavors. Um, I said, don't allow parenthood or a job that you have to be an excuse to not pursue your dreams. Don't let that be your ceiling. Um, you define who you are and what you are capable of. And I think you will prioritize your time in the right way once you realize that. And that kind of leads into my second bullet point, which is give yourself all the grace. Um, I said, be intentional with your time. So for me, once we get the kids down, my husband and I have a quick like huddle. How are you doing? You good? I'm good. Okay. I'm going to go write and I'll sit down and write for at least an hour every day just to make a habit out of it and be intentional with my time toward that avenue in my life. Um, And then I said, know your burnout indicators and listen to your body when you start experiencing them. So for me, mine are insomnia, migraines, and numbing out. I know you mentioned Enneagrams, Megan. I'm an Enneagram nine. And one of our biggest faults is just when you can't handle it anymore, you just numb out and there's nothing in in you. I have a lot of friends that are nines. I think ones and nines get along pretty well. We do. And I'm a one, my wing is a one. So I relate to you with the order and the structure. So I'm sorry, Meg, you're like all the way in the You're way off on the other side. I'm curious. What do you think, Jeanette? So you know a little bit about Enneagrams and we mm-hmm. do an episode on this, but what do you think my number is? I'm not, okay. I know a little bit about them based on the people in my life that also practice Enneagram 
studies. I don't know what you would call yeah, it, but yeah. are you a seven? Close. Close. I'm a six with a seven wing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm, I'm okay. a six, but I have a strong second. A, can't talk. I have a strong seven wing. So you see, good. Um, I, so um, I know you were going through your, your um, tips mm-hmm. and stuff on juggling um, and just knowing and being able to read your, your body. Cause I think the burnout. The yeah. Knowing burnout. when you burn out. Mm-hmm. That's huge. Absolutely. Is there something that you do that is like your go-to that's a self-care that you're like, okay, this is, I need a moment. I need, you know, to do something for myself to recharge to, you know, is there anything that you can think of that you do? Yes, ma'am. It's a hot bath with a glass of wine and nobody in the bathroom by myself. <laughs> lock all the kids out, lock everybody away. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's writing almost is something that I can tap mm-hmm. into to kind of get through my burnout, but I do know, um, I still need to give myself a break from that. Sometimes sure. it's okay to not stick to your pattern of writing every night. And don't give yourself a hard time if you skip one night of your hobby or whatever it is. Um, And then the the last point I had was give yourself all the grace under that. I said, leave yourself notes of encouragement. And I didn't have that on, but I was a good idea. I was flipping through an old notebook a couple days ago and I found a letter I wrote to myself in October of last year. I'll read it. You guys can edit this out if you want to, but it says, Jeanette, congratulations, you're doing it. You are officially writing a book, something you've always dreamed of doing. No matter how far into the future you're reading this, please take a moment to appreciate everything you've got going for you right now on October 11th, 2019. Here, I butter myself up here. I said, you are a mom and a wife, the two roles you are put here on this earth to fill. You have the cutest son and the best, most supportive husband. You are pregnant in your third trimester and you look amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) My gosh, you are one of Nashville's top 30 under 30. What an accomplishment. That is an honor you should forever be proud of. You feel the most ambitious and driven you've ever felt before. And it shows in the company you keep, the writing you're doing, the opportunities you're presented and go after, and the hunger you have to continue to grow and be better. And now to add to that list, you're writing a book. My hope today is that if you grow discouraged or lose some momentum while writing this book, that you read this letter to yourself and gain some encouragement from it. God desperately wants to speak through your writing skills that he's gifted you. Let him. There is not one, or sorry, there is one person out there that is going to be changed by your book. Use them as your motivator. Use everything I've written about as your motivator. I believe in you. Love, Jeanette. So that was a nice note. Love that. I love, I love that you wrote yourself words of encouragement. You spoke life back into yourself. Yeah. That's man. We need to do that more often. The only notes that I have around my house right now are from my children who really want a dog. And so they take sticky notes (laughs) and literally put them all over the house that say cute puppy. And so I got home last night and probably collected 20 of them all around my house that just said cute puppy. That's all they said. Oh, so those are the notes no. that I get in my house. I'd rather have those Megan, notes that you wrote. We need to write. We both need to sit down and just write ourselves a letter that we read, let's say like six months, a year from yeah. now, something okay. like that. I love That's that great tip advice, that you just Jeanette. gave. It's mm-hmm. incredible advice. The other thing that um, you said, um, I think it was tip number one, was don't let being a parent um, don't let that be the reason that you don't do something or pursue something. Don't let that be a roadblock. And this speaks for men and women, because I think both sides do this. Like I think parenthood, it can be so time consuming that it can kind of deflate some of those dreams and ideas that we have. Now, I think that obviously too, we, yes, if you're a parent, you're put on this earth, you know, to take care of the child. And that should be, you know, definitely first. Yeah. Priority. But I don't think it has to be this huge roadblock. And I love that you list that as, uh, you know, also something just to encourage those out there too. It's incredible as Thank usual. You. And so uh, going, you know, going off of what you just said, the, my last point was welcome your kids into your pre- professional spaces. 
instead of shutting them out, like I've got to get this done, go away, kind of like inviting them in. And I know that's easier said than done a lot of the times, but if you can manage it, I said, for me, I let the kids sit in my lap and type on the disconnected keyboard that we have right here. And they think they're doing a lot of work and they're doing nothing. Um, and I give I give them a calculator too. And then I let them have in, or I'm saying, let them have input in your work. My kids are too young to have input right now, but as they're older, I don't know if you're, you know, you design something, Hey, what do you think about this? And kind of let them feel like they have a part in it. A part. And then I say, let them say hi at the end of zoom calls. That's so cute. I love that you said, allow your kids into that professional space in some capacity. My girls love, back in Texas, I was in the insurance industry along with nonprofit stuff, but my nine to five job was insurance industry and they loved going to my office. I mean, that was their favorite is if after school, if when I picked them up, if I had a meeting or a customer that I still had to go to. They wanted to be there in that space with me at, you know, that was like the highlight of their week. And even now doing podcast stuff, um, anytime me and Megan are like, Hey kids, y'all jump into this, this video. they They want their own episode. Oh, yes. But you could just see them beaming. They just are beaming that we've. So I love that you mentioned that, too. And this is why we had you on. You have such incredible advice and such a great story. All we want you to know, Jeanette, is we are so thankful just that you came on here, bared your heart, bared your soul, shared your story with us. We're super excited just to help get the word out about your book. I can't wait to get it. We will have the link um, on our website so people can get that ordered and have that ready when it comes out in February. And just thank you so much. And you're awesome. And I'm going to go make my, I'm going to write myself a letter now. Do it. How awesome I am. Or maybe I should write yours, Meg, and then you write mine. I don't know if I could write myself. I'm not a good, you know this about me, though. I'm not a good letter writer. Mm -hmm. So it's hard for me. I have so many thoughts and things going in my head. And that's a lot of times why I speak, you know, not as eloquently as Megan does. Um, (laughs) So it's hard for me. I have to be in a probably really quiet space with no distractions because I'm so ADD, but I want to write a letter too. Yeah. Mine okay. So we're going to set our, as, we're going to set a goal. Pretty. Uh, that's all right. But it's just for you to read. Right. So I love it. But Jeanette, thank you. Yeah. Thank you guys. Thank you so much for listening to the Meg's podcast today. We have the best time talking about <laughs> all the things, all the things we love it. Don't we Meg? Yes. Well, y'all be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes that we have. And then also come find us on social media. We want to connect with you at the Meg's Podcast.